Welcome to Fresh Coast Jazz Backstage, the show that gives you a chance to hang with today's top contemporary jazz artists. I'm your host, Carl Brown. What's up? What's up, everybody? Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to Fresh Coast Jazz Backstage. Today's guest is truly a renaissance man. Get this, y'all. He's a musician. He's a songwriter. He's an actor. He's a model. He's a professional filmmaker. And I know there's other stuff in there that he does as well. He's a five-time Billboard charting trumpeter, and he has been a fixture on smooth jazz radio around the world for quite some time now. I remember the first time I heard him on radio, the freshness of the way he plays his trumpet and the sound he makes. It just made me stop really literally stop and listen and try really try to hear and say wow this is new this is different this is fresh and i'm glad i did because i've been able to enjoy his music and his style of playing that trumpet ever since please welcome to the show today mr ryan montano ryan welcome well i appreciate it thank you that was a, a very nice introduction thank you really absolutely nice. well you make good music man and that good music you know it like, I truly do remember the first time I heard you on radio and I just, I just stopped me and I was like, wow, this is, I'm a trumpet fan, right? Like, I'm a fan of like a Chris Bodie and, and of course, Miles and Lynn Roundtree, but yours, your sound is just a unique sound. It's so melodic, but it's so, I don't know. It's different. It's creative. How have you cultivated your way of playing the trumpet? Well, I appreciate the nice words. Thank you. The cultivation of my trumpet and the sound and the songs that I write is all rooted in a search for what feels right, what feels mm -hmm. honest, what feels good. You know what I mean? There's a lot of, it's kind of a double-edged sword. You know, as you mentioned, there is a certain degree of uniqueness to the approach that I take in the genre. But at the same time, it is atypical of most of the sounds that are coming out of here. And so, Sometimes the success and sometimes the recognition comes and sometimes it doesn't, you know, yeah. because sometimes it doesn't resonate with the genre. And But that's OK, because I'm not really writing songs per se for the genre. Mm -hmm. It's more plus that there is a, an outlet of an audience and an avenue that listens to this kind of music that also resonates with the music that I create. Um, I think that's a really really nice position to be in for yeah, sure. Yeah. You are an artist in the truest sense of the word. Like you're when I look at all the other things that you do in addition to music, like you are the epitome of an artist. And I'm curious, like how does acting and modeling and filmmaking, how does that all impact what you do as a musician and vice versa? How does what you do as a musician impact all those other things that you do? Well, I got into the world of video and filmmaking and doing acting way, actually, yeah, probably around, mm, I would say the early or the late 2000s, mm -hmm. probably around like 2010. And for a long time, that's what I did, got my degree in. That was what I was journalism. And for a long time, that's what I did to support my music, to support okay. my trumpet playing, pay for my radio campaigns and to pay for mixing and mastering. And I was doing like documentary style, cinematic documentary style work for the university. And then I was production manager for Telemundo. Okay. And then I did a lot of acting in various different outfits and whatnot. And that was just a way that I could pay for my music and get it out there until I was able to reach a position where my music was self-sustaining and I was able to support myself just through my trumpet. Okay. So. Okay. Okay. So they're feeding one another really in a literal sense, huh? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I mean, I, I enjoy both creative endeavors and I really enjoy the creation of the filmmaking process, uh -huh. the cinematography side, the lighting, the kind of lenses that you're using, the cameras, how are you editing? How are you color grading? 
What is the pacing of your editing? And I find that world to be really easy to tap into. In trumpet world and music world, I feel that I struggle a little bit more to sort of find a groove and find a niche and find a certain degree of authenticity. It gets there, but it doesn't come as easily as I would say it does in the film world. Okay. So, but I love both passions. I like making things. I love yeah. being able to make, whether it be video or whether it be music or whether it be graphics or whatever it is, or a combination of the two, I just, I love being able to create. It's, yeah, it's that's fun. cool. That's cool. So what is it about the trumpet that made you fall in love with the trumpet? Uh, I don't know if there's any one particular thing, you know, it's, I liken it to the same, like, why does someone like, you know, a beautiful morning sky or why does someone mm-hmm. like the smell mm-hmm. warm pancakes in the morning? There's just something about it that resonates with someone's spirit. And for me, it was always just the trumpet, the sound of it, the melodies that are commonly afforded to being a trumpet player in most playing situations. And then when I was able to incorporate that into my own music, that was it. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. That's awesome. So who would you say are some of your biggest musical influences? (sighs) Man, I have so many from a trumpet perspective. I have, I would say people like Chet Baker and Roy Hargrove and Rick Braun is up there. Chris Bodie. I'm really good friends. I really find inspiration from my boy, really Willie Bradley as a musician and as a businessman. And he's helped me out so much in this genre. I always have to give my boy Willie Bradley a yeah. shout out. But I have so many different influences, even in straight ahead jazz room, whether that be Cannonball Adderley. I really love the way he plays the saxophone. I'm a real big fan of Gerald Albright, mm-hmm. uh, Eric Marienthal. I mean, there's I have so many because there are so many technicians and so many artists on their respective instruments. And it's outside. it could be outside of the trumpet world. From a songwriting perspective, I love producers and songwriters that create music in a very unique way. And Timbaland has always been a big inspiration. Jim Croce, John Mayer, James Taylor, Nora Jones, Mm -hmm. Joni Mitchell from that sort of style of songwriting. And then I incorporate that into the songs that I create. But I always say anything that comes to your ears can be a a, something that can be incorporated into a music, into a song. Yeah. And so I always try to walk around the world and walk about my day, just kind of open and receptive to whatever the sounds of the world, the sounds of the universe that are coming in and make sure that if the inspiration strikes that I'm in the right headspace to acknowledge that and to be able to incorporate that into what I do. Yeah. 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 Did, did you find smooth jazz as a genre or did smooth jazz sort of find you? I would say it's a combination of both. Okay. You know, I would say that I'm a student of the genre I remember I would probably say my first exposure to this contemporary jazz format <clears throat> would have been listening to Feel So Good by Chuck Mangione. Yeah, yeah. And my dad was a musician. And so we first, me and my brother, he was a sax player. He was a couple of years older than me. He's like, yo, Ryan, check out this song. And so we started playing along to it. And then my dad would break out his guitar. And man, we would just, that was like my first sort of access into you know, there is a groove or a pop element to instrumental music that yeah. resonated with me. And then I started, I've been writing songs ever since I was young, young, seven years old, eight years old. And I've always just incorporated those sound palettes into what I do. Okay. 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 So talk to us about where you want to see your career go. Like, I mean, you've had good success already, right? But Mm -hmm. what are some of the things you're hoping to accomplish with your career as you go forward? I would say at this point, kind of the obstacle or not the obstacle, but the goal towards which I'm striving is I'd love to be able to perform more Uh and perform. I don't necessarily chase the live music thing, whether it be festivals or concert performance. I used to do that. I used Uh to do that a lot. And then the reason why I took a step back from it, it was at the end of 2019. I had a I chased a specific promoter who runs a really prestigious jazz club for two years trying to get a gig. And then when I finally got it, 
it took two years of reaching out and sending promo videos and mm-hmm. sending music and whatnot. And when it came time for the night of the concert, out of a 350-seat venue, I think I had nine ticket buyers. Mm-hmm. And I, the next morning, I was really disappointed by that. I'm really big and open and receptive to signs. And yeah. for me, I looked at the results that had manifested from putting intention into that direction of live performance. And for two years, I essentially chased this gentleman trying to get a gig. And then when I got it, there were seven or nine people that, that bought tickets. And so mm-hmm. that next morning, I woke up and I said, this is for now is not the right path. And so I decided to make a decision to double down on what had been working and what is working and what was creating success and what kind of my music was getting heard. And that was through recorded music. And that was right before the pandemic happened. And because I made that decision to stop essentially, I don't know if chasing is the right word, but that's kind of what it was. As soon as I made the decision to stop chasing the live music thing, I focused on recorded music. And then that was when my song Soulfully came out. And Mm -hmm. uh, that was during the pandemic. And all of my musician friends, you know, were were hit pretty hard by the lockdowns. And yeah. as a result of me going down on on what was working, I was able to sort of sidestep all of the financial and sort of lulls that happened in the music industry during the pandemic because I felt I was open to the signs of this is what I need to be doing right now. So moving forward, and Friday on May 26th, I'm opening for Boney James in Memphis, Tennessee. I saw that online, yeah. Yeah. So I'm really looking forward to that. I have my show all ready to go, everything, all my arrangements. And I want to use that show as a springboard into creating more, even if it's just a mental thing or a heart thing, to yeah. use, uh, set more intention to play out more and to show showcase in a live in a live setting this music that I've been creating over all these years. That's fantastic. Well, why don't we do why don't we take a listen to that song that you just mentioned, the song Soulfully, which was a big hit for you. Yes.
All right, everybody, you just heard today's guest, Ryan Montagna, with his hit song, Soulfully. So, you know, that's a song I love so much about that song, but I love the title of that song. How did that title come to be? That title was inspired by one of my all-time favorite trumpet players. His name is Roy Hargrove, Uh and he was in a radio station playing a song. And as far as I know, he never released this song recorded-wise, but I transcribed his solo and learned the melodies, and it's one of my favorite songs, and that's called Soulful. And Roy mm-hmm. Hargrove has been such a big inspiration in from an improvisational standpoint, from a composition standpoint, from how he's approached his career with such a diversity and uh, a musical amalgamation of so many different sounds and styles. And so for me, it was an homage and a nod to and a gesture of respect to everything that he's done for trumpet players in the world, in the music of jazz. And so for me, the title of my song, Soulfully, was an homage to all the beautiful influences that the music of Roy Hargrove has afforded me in my career. That's really cool. That's really cool. Uh, So what for you would you say is the most rewarding thing about being able to make music? For me, I would say that the most rewarding aspect is every morning I wake up and I play the trumpet for a living. I don't have to do anything else. Yeah. There's been an audience and there's been channels, radio stations, podcasts, people that have taken a genuine interest and a genuine support and liking to the music that I create. And I pray every day for that blessing and I'm thankful for it. That is by far, it's beautiful because as musicians, that's what we're all trying to do. We're trying to find a way to keep the roof over our head, the lights on in the house and food in our belly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've genuinely, I've sacrificed a lot to be able to get to that position where I mm-hmm. am now. But now that I'm here, like some days I'll wake up, like I really love golfing. I okay. Love okay. Golfing. So some days I'll wake up if I'm not really feeling like a, feeling the music thing or I'm not feeling like I just need a little bit of a break. I'll just head to the golf course. I'll head to the driving range and crank out a couple buckets and, uh-huh. and just have a wonderful time doing that. And I love that I have the freedom and the ability to be able to do that because for a long time when I was making videos to support my music, I wasn't able to do that. Yeah, I recognize that is rare and I recognize not to take it for granted, but that is the aspect of my music of which I'm most proud and most excited. That is cool. There's so much packed into what you just said, right? Like there is freedom in there. There is the value of like, I wish if I could give young people one piece of advice, I would tell them to recognize now how valuable time is, right? I'm going to be 60 years old soon, right? And I'm recognizing now how valuable time is. I wish I would have recognized that 40, 50 years ago, right? But that's one of the things that was in what you just said, too. And choice was in what you just said as well. Right. And those are some in the scheme of life. Those are some pretty serious things to be able to live a life where you have all of those things at one point in time and recognize that you have those things. Yes, I would say so. And but with that, it's it is a double edged sword. You know, there's certain mm-hmm. things that I've foregone, you know, yes. for a long time. I lived with roommates and lived in very bad living situations and had yeah. no money while, you know what I mean? While yep. trying to try yep. to figure all that stuff out. And so I sacrificed for a long, long time. But at the end of the day, I was guided by the sales of truth, so to speak. I knew what was in my heart. I knew what yeah. I wanted. I knew how to get it. And I sought that out in a truthful and honest way. And then the path revealed itself. And I don't think it's coincidental that an avenue opened up to where I could support myself music wise because yeah. I sought that out and I sought that out from a place of authenticity and it worked out. Yeah, we, my listeners, we all need to be taking notes here because you're speaking some real truth here today, man. Because I mean, there is no success without sacrifice. I don't care what line of work you're in. I don't care 
who you are, where you come from. There is no success without sacrifice. Yep. I completely agree. I you completely know, agree. and I think we see sometimes we see people who are who look like they're there. And but we have no idea all that it took for them to get to that position. Yep. I always like that. Uh, the analogy that people will use, they'll post a picture of an iceberg. And the top of the iceberg is what people they'll put in writing, what people see. They see the success, yeah. they see the visibility and whatnot. But underneath the iceberg, they don't see the blood, the sweat, the tears, the sacrifice, yep. the rejection, the confusion, the self-doubt. All those things that go in with that builds the foundation of what you can do to create the life that you want. Yeah, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. So when people listen to your music, what are you hoping they get from your music? Hmm. That's kind of a hard one because it's hard to, you know, it's, I would assume it's relative to the individual, you know, yeah. everybody's going to experience something different, but I know that what resonates with me when I hear an artist or an instrumental musician that creates good music that resonates with me, there's a certain, again, I come back to the authenticity and the honesty to it. They're not trying to be something else. They're not necessarily trying to create a radio hit. They're not trying to create songs for a certain genre or a certain radio station or anything. I would hope that when people listen to my music, they hear something unique, special and honest, and it sounds good and it feels yeah. good on top of that as well. So that's, yeah, I would say that's what I hope people hear most when they listen to my music. Awesome. Well, why don't we take a listen to another one of your songs? How about we take a listen to Future Smooth? Yes, Future Smooth.
That was today's guest, Ryan Montagna, with Future Smooth. Ryan, tell us about how that song came to be. <sighs> Future Smooth came about, I was working with my homie Robert Muller. He's a, a keyboard player, fantastic jazz piano player. And I had some ideas. I put together a few beats and put together a few sort of harmonic ideas. I was just kind of messing around with trying to find things that felt good. And he came over and I had a few ideas and we tracked the whole harmonic foundation, which was a Wurlitzer. Uh, we got through the whole song and at the very end of Future Smooth, there's a little ballad that comes in. I was like, yeah, I said, I'd like you to play piano. And the figure that he played on the piano sounded so good that I was like, oh, man, what if we also put that at the very beginning of the song and sort of make that the harmonic foundation of the song? So we did essentially did this entire hour and a half, two hour session. We get to the very end. And then he plays this one lick and I was like, that has to be the song. So the very opening piano lick that you hear of Future Smooth had actually come at the very end of the song. Okay. And we ended up finishing the session and then redoing the entire session again because it felt so good. That's one thing that I always try to be open and receptive to when I'm creating my songs is if something really hits the feels, hits yeah, the heart. Yeah. You not it's like, oh well, we've already done all this session. We're not gonna no, it's like all creative options on the table. And so I really I'm really proud that this song ended up becoming what it is because of that one moment at the very yeah. end of the session changed the whole trajectory and sound and vibe of the song. So that's future smooth. That's fantastic. All right. So Ryan, we play this game on the show. It's called Bout It or Doubt It. So if you're about it, it's something that you're into or you like. If you doubt it, it's something you're not feeling. Can we get you to join us in, in doing a little Bout It or Doubt It today? We'd love to. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. If you bout it, get them up. I mean you body body. I mean you say you body body. I represent. I doubt it. All right, so Ryan, we're gonna spin the wheel to get you a category. Then we're gonna ask you a couple of about it or doubted questions. Okay. Okay. All right. All right, Ryan. Your category today is around the house. 
So okay. about it or doubt it, cooking. About it. Yeah. So much about it. Okay. Yeah, All right. An endeavor, I would say these past two and a half years that I've really gone into undertaking and especially different types of cooking techniques for like meat, steaks, ribeyes, okay. different kinds of seasonings. I really like lemon peel. Seasoning is really good. I uh-huh. like putting organic grass fed butter on as a flavor on the actual, the meat. Okay. Which is actually. Depends who you ask, but it's really good for you. So okay, okay, okay. That so like yeah, big smile came. Everybody can't see him, but a big smile came on his face when we said cooking. Do you focus on things outside of cooking of meats? Like, what's your arsenal like? Like, are there certain kinds of food that you go to, or you just trying to learn to cook whatever whatever hits you? I really like like I don't do a lot of the gluten or the grains thing mm-hmm. like for me. They- I discovered a few years ago that they just, for me, make me really feel really sick. And that okay. led me down this path of exploration in terms of diet and nutrition and uh-huh. what works for what works well for me and what works well for my body. And yeah. so, you know, knowing pretty much everything, not pretty much everything I buy, organic fruits and vegetables, organic meats, pasture raised, no seed oils, yeah. you know, all, only the good stuff. You yeah, know, yeah. I, like every morning when I wake up and I do my morning prayer, I always say a prayer of gratitude if I feel good. And yeah. 99 days out of 100, I feel good. And I recognize that, especially in today's world, some people wake up and they don't feel good. I'm a real big believer in, in how you start your day kind of sets the tone for a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I found that when I really delve down, I've always been active physically, you know, jogging and eating healthy. But I really doubled down when I started to feel gross eating certain foods. And yeah, so yeah. that led me down the path. And, you know, I love waking up in the morning and being able to say, thank you, God, that I feel good today. Yeah. And I love being able to have the energy and and the stamina to, you know, like you had asked earlier, how I'm able to balance all of these passions yeah. that I, yeah, it's to me, it's a big part of it is health and nutrition. You know, yeah. Having the energy and having the mental energy, I think is a big one to be able to undertake those certain endeavors. And I think a big part of that comes from good nutrition, good water, good yeah. sleep, connection with God, all those good things. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. All right. One more about it or doubt a question for you. It's around the house again, yard work. Yard work. That's, I grew up when I was in my early parts of high school. I would do a lot of landscaping. Uh-huh. Work my dad. My dad worked for a drywall company, and a lot of his coworkers would be like, "Hey, can you know Ryan come to my house and do some landscaping?" Okay. So, you know, I got real good with digging up weeds and whatnot. You know, like I love a good backyard and, uh-huh. and whatnot. I can't say it's my favorite thing, but it's kind of like I feel it's like when I do my books or do my taxes. So uh-huh. like, you don't look forward to doing it, but once you're in the thick of it, you kind of, you get into a flow and you get into it and it's like, all right, yeah. crank it out. Yeah. So, yeah. I feel you. Some we, days I'm about it. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm a total doubter on that, man. I tell you my, I remember one of the worst days of my life is I remember my dad, I was probably 13, 12 years old. And my dad decided that my brothers and I were going to plant trees in our yard. Right. So I remember digging these really, really deep holes and moving these trees all around the yard and planting these trees. And that to me was like one of the things was like, and you know what? That's not for me. You know, <laughs> that is not. And to this day, I have somebody else do my yard work for me. You know? Right. Oh, I think that's, I think it's smart. You know what I mean? It's, it's a good way to go about it. Yeah. I figure out, I don't want to spend my time doing that if I don't have to. Had to do it for a while, but man, I was so happy when I could get somebody else to do it for me. So yep, you're a songwriter and that's a really, really important part of what you do and how you do what you do. When you write a song, are you writing it thinking about it as a song for yourself? 
Or are you just writing the idea and not thinking about where this song should lie or how it's going to be performed or so forth? Those are good questions. I think the songwriting process is different every time. There's no one specific formula. Sometimes the genesis of a song can be a, a trumpet lick that I've been stuck in the back of my head and that turns into a melody. Sometimes it could be a drum groove that I really resonate. Sometimes it could be a chord progression. Every song is different. And so, again, it just comes back to whatever the seed is, whatever the genesis of that song is going to be. I just want to make sure it comes from a place of authenticity and honesty and to where it feels good. And it feels that the intentions and the motives behind creating that song in that moment in time are, are right, are just mm-hmm. and honest and mm-hmm. feel good. You have said a word many times in our conversation today, and I have to ask you this question that's been on my mind for a little bit now. What does honesty mean to you? Being in the movie world, there's a lot of good people and a lot of good projects that are being created in that space. But at the same time, and I want to be careful about how I say it, I do perceive that a lot of it is rooted in, we can either call it vanity, not all of it, but a lot of it I perceived was rooted in vanity or the sort of all eyes on me approach, whether that be from an acting standpoint, whether that be from directors or producers, it's that sort of thing. And that doesn't necessarily make it bad. It doesn't necessarily make it good. It's just kind of what I perceive the nature of that business to be. And so for me, it was always sort of, it didn't feel right to be keep to pursue that world in that sort of way. And I learned a lot from those experiences. And so I knew that for my music, that I didn't want it to become something of that nature where it was vanity based or all eyes on me or success based. You know, for me, it was important that the music that I created was honest and felt good and was rooted in something that I can't describe it other than that. It it feels like your gut, you feel it in your gut that yes, this, this is the right thing. And so for me, that's that's what I always try to do whenever I create my songs. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's sometimes it could be a tough mindset, especially when ears start getting put on your music and it's listening a certain way. There are times when you want to the thought goes in your mind. Oh, I think that this can appeal to a certain demographic or radio will love yeah, this or this yeah. can put on billboard and stuff like that. And again, I'm not begrudging that for people that choose that path, but I know that for me, it's important that it's first and foremost rooted in the gut test. You know, what what feels good in the gut and what feels good in the heart. Yeah. Yeah. That's so great, man. Because I think that's one of the things that we can quickly lose sight of is making sure that, you know, what's driving us is what feels right and feels good to us versus all those other forces that can be out there knocking on the door or tapping you on the shoulder saying, pay attention to me, you know, which can, if you're not grounded, like you're very clear, Ryan, about who you are clearly and why you do what you do, which is really cool, right? Because that's one of the things like we see people get swayed so easily in this day and age, right? And it takes a lot of work to get to that point too. Yep. I think you articulated it perfectly. It's knowing thyself, so to speak. You know, I think most people have that desire to really know, okay, this is what I like. This is what I don't like. This is what makes me feel good. And this is what doesn't make me feel good. There's that saying by what was her name? Eleanor Roosevelt. She says, no one could, what was it? I'm kind of paraphrasing, but it says, no one can make you feel badly about yourself without your consent. Yeah. And basically, you know, if someone comes up to me and says, oh, you like to eat trash out of the garbage and walk up and down the street in your underwear. It's like, well, what are you talking about? It's like, I know who I am. That's not true. That that can't bother me. Conversely, for something else, if someone comes and says your music is terrible or anything like that, it's like, okay, that could get to me or I could really know who I am and and the things that I like and the trenches that I've been to to work on that self-work. Yeah. 
and I'm comfortable with who I am. I've put in the necessary work yeah. and it took a long time to get there. And I, you know, some people I perceive, you know, it never really comes. But for me, I knew that was a big, important part of my life is knowing myself and knowing the man that I want to be. And hopefully I get there most days. That's awesome, man. That is fantastic. So what is something your fans would be surprised to learn about you? I would see, I would say that lately. So I grew up on the edge of the Cibola National Forest here in the East Mountains of Albuquerque, New Mexico. Okay. And one of the things that I was a baseball player, but because we lived on the edge of the National Forest, we had all this expanse of forest and property. And so I grew up golfing a lot, but a specific kind of golfing where me and my brother would get our driving our drivers and we would hit our golf balls as far as we possibly could into the forest and wow. then go look for them. And so I've done that all my life. And I would say these past two or three months, that passion of like distance driving with yeah. golf balls has been really, I go to the driving range at least four or five times a week and I'll hit anywhere between, I don't know, 70 and 200 balls and just really working on my consistency of where you hit the ball on the club face and going for distance. I'm, you know, the top guys in the world are hitting it, you know, anywhere between 350 and 450 yards. Yeah. Um, you know, I would say when I really get a hold of it and I'm really cranking on all fours, I would say I'm between 350 and 375. I don't have any delusions wow. of grandeur. Wow. I don't have any delusions of grandeur about becoming, you know, a distance driving world champion because like any art, they're the top guys in that, that space are dedicating, you know, they're doing physical training, they're doing technique training and it's an art form. They treat it as that. But that's something that for whatever, I mean, not for whatever reason, but growing up hitting golf balls into the forest, that's something that I still do to the day. And I've been enjoying going around Albuquerque and going to different driving ranges and seeing which ones I like and, yeah. and which ones I don't, which vibes I like. But I have to make sure that I tell myself I'm not going to golf too long today because there's work to be done on the trumpet. Okay. But okay. I've been really enjoying that lately. So for those of our fans listening who don't know, I think you're underselling this a little bit, Ryan. Like hitting a golf ball 350 yards or 375 yards is pretty doggone amazing. Like I'm, I am a new to, not new to golf. I played, took a long time off and then getting back to it. I'm having a hard time just hitting the driver. I really am. Right. <laughs> and when right. I see somebody hit, my goal is to be able to hit the driver straight 200 yards. That's my goal for mm. me. Right. Mm -hmm. But for those who don't understand, like this is one thing that I like people who don't golf, they think that, oh, you're hitting a stationary ball. How hard can that be? Right. <laughs> And they don't realize how hard that actually is to be able to hit a golf ball and hit it where you can get that kind of distance on a ball. That's not easy. Yeah. The consistency, I think, is the big thing. You know, it's funny. People say like, oh, yeah, you're hitting a ball, but it's there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions of mortgages that are being paid off of someone's ability to hit a golf ball really mm -hmm. well. You know, there's magazines, there's podcasts, there's manufacturers, you know, I mean, of course, yep. there's people on the tour, you know what I mean? Like the industry of golf is huge. Yeah. And the, you're right. It's all about the consistency. You know, there are some days where I go to the driving range and a large bucket of balls is anywhere between 75 and 100 balls, depending on the size of the bucket. You know, there are some days where nine out of 10 balls, I'm getting a hold of them really good. And those, to me, those are the days where I start thinking like, oh man, like, can I make something out of this? Can this be another mm -hmm. like, thing? But then there are other days like about uh, last week, I probably had my worst day at the driving range where I was literally slicing every single shot. And uh -huh. it doesn't matter what I was doing. I was, you know, I was trying to step back a little bit farther from the club, make sure I hit it on the club face a little bit more consistently. And there, 
there are some days where it's just not happening, you know, and then there's other days like I was at this one driving range. They have a fence that tops out at about between 285 and 300 yards. And I was hitting them over the fence and then wow. the marshal comes by and he goes, hey, man, you have a real strong swing. He goes, but don't be hitting them over the fence. And I, was like, okay. so I can't. I mean, I like going to that one, but I don't if I'm in a really good groove and I want to be able to test the limits of what it feels like physically to, you know, like I'm a little bit of a taller person. I'm six one and a little bit of a bigger guy. And I grew up playing baseball. So I, uh-huh. I do have that strong swing when I'm feeling it and I'm really getting a hold of the ball, man, to me, that's one of the greatest feelings of the world. And, you know, to kind of, it's funny. I went with my friend the other day and he goes, man, <laughs> people are sitting there watching you and everything. And it's like, you know, I have to remind myself not to kind of get carried away with the infatuation of that sort of being good at something like that, like yeah. golfing. You yeah. know what I mean? Because there's a certain humility that I think you should always approach something if you have proficiency. So I always try to make sure that I'm being humble if I have the good days because I'm not acting like that when I'm slicing. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. And golf, that- uh, golf amazingly is one of those things too where like for a player like me, I can have one good shot for a round or two good shots in a round and that's enough to make me think, okay, maybe I can do this. Maybe I've got yep. this now, you know? <laughs> yep, yep. It's a great, it's a great great feeling man you and you start to like man you know what maybe i should try out for the program or maybe should, you know you start looking at the best possible scenarios there's some about golf that especially like i was watching a tutorial or rory mcelroy was giving some lessons to some golfers and okay and just his whole persona his demeanor and everything i was like man that dude is so cool yeah like, there's just something about being able to to walk up to a fairway, put your ball on a tee and just crank it 300 yards straight as an arrow. Yeah. And just, man, it's yeah. one of the greatest things in the world. And know, and know before you ever swing where that ball is going to go. You know, yes. that's yes. pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing. Well, let's take a listen to one more of your songs. How about we listen to Gemini? Oh, I love it. I consider this my best song.
Well, that was Ryan Montagna with the song Gemini. You said you considered your best song. Tell us why you considered your best song. <sighs> well, I don't know. Like every song, they're kind of like your children. You love them. or I mean, I don't have children, but I would assume, you know, yeah. you love your children for their unique qualities yes. and for what's different about them. And whatever it is about this song, whatever it was channeled when I wrote it, it just ended up from the beat to the sound palette to the mm -hmm. melodies. It just everything about that song for me, when I listen to it, I'm so proud of it. And I'm so proud that it turned out the way that it did. And I'm proud that I was able to see it to its completion in that way. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah, I'm real proud of this one. It's my favorite. Well, and it's done really, really well for you as well, right? Like a lot of people are hearing a lot of the same things that make you proud about it is something a lot of people are hearing in it because it's been a very popular song and a song that lots of people have enjoyed and are enjoying. I appreciate that. Yeah. And no, I'm, again, I'm glad to be able to create music and I'm glad that there are people that listen that resonate with it and enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. So Ryan, do you remember the first concert you ever went to see? Probably the first jazz concert that I ever went to see was probably Wynton Marsalis. Oh, Wow. Back when I was probably a sophomore or maybe even a freshman. Mm -hmm. And he has a song. It's called The Big Fat Hen. Uh -huh. And he made a chicken sound with his trumpet. And I just remember that moment very distinctly being like, man, I want to learn how to do that. OK. And so, OK. Uh, yeah. Seeing Winton, you know, I mean, he's one for the history books. He's probably yeah. the greatest to pick up the trumpet. And so, yeah, that was one of my first concerts for sure. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That's quite a concert to cut your teeth on. And you're right. He is one for the history books. And one of the things I love about him is like how much he pushes forward new artists and young artists like you ever see him doing what he's doing he ever see him with his jazz at lincoln center orchestra he's always introducing new young talent and really pushing them out there too and giving them this huge platform yeah i mean it's that's what it's about it is creating or helping to foster the next generation of people that'll speak this language of this music yeah you know, whatever you want to call it whether it's jazz smooth jazz contemporary jazz there's so many Subgenres, but yeah, Winton, he gets it. And he also gets it from a business standpoint. He's created the jazz at Lincoln Center. He has mm -hmm. the Pulitzer Prize, he has the Grammys, he has the albums, he has the licensing deals. He's also a top notch player. He can play straight ahead, he can play classical. Yeah. Like, He's <laughs> that dude's batting a thousand with everything yeah. that he does, man. So yeah. he's, he gets it, man. He's on the right path. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. So given life's experiences, Ryan, what advice would you give your 13 year old self about life? I would say double down on your strengths and your talents. Huh. There's a there's I was listening to the comedian Steve Martin. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was listening to him do an interview on Charlie Rose. And this interview really resonated with me because he said something to the effect of people always come up to me and ask me, what does it take to make it to become famous? And he goes, I don't know the answer to that question. He goes, but be so good that they can't deny you. Ah. And for me, when he said that's exactly it. You know, I feel that there's so many people especially in the entertainment business, they want to be famous or they with the eyes, the, you know, or there's a certain degree of vanity that's kind of feeling their ambitions. But if you could just be whenever, like whenever I send off my music to whether to the radio stations, to you guys, to, yeah. you know, someone like, like Dave cause, I always send him my music and he's uh -huh. been a big supporter of what I've been doing. I want to make sure that whatever he hears is not only industry standard, but when he hears it, like Steve Martin says, yeah. you can't deny that it's there, that it has what me and my homie call the sauce, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sauce. And so what I would give 
my 13, the advice that I would give to my 13 year old self or to anybody really is double down on, on your strengths and, and whatever that is, develop it and hone it so good that whoever hears it, they can't deny it. Yeah. It's, it's undeniable. Yeah. Ryan, what would you say are your three favorite albums of all time? <laughs> I would say Ear Food by Roy Hargrove. Yeah. I would say Hello Tomorrow, Dave Cause. That's one of my favorite ones. And then Born and Raised by John Mayer. Oh, yeah. Uh, my all-time favorite album. Great. You know, my wife is a huge John Mayer fan. And mm-hmm. I've heard John Mayer's music. And a couple of years ago, he came to, I'm in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and John came to Milwaukee. And so being a good husband, I got seats. They weren't as good as my wife wanted. She wanted backstage access and everything. I couldn't get quite that good, right? But nonetheless, went to the show, and I got to tell you, I walked into that show thinking, I'm going to listen to John Maris. It's going to be cool. I walked out of that show thinking, oh my God, I think I just witnessed one of the top five guitar players on the planet. Again, you know, one someone for the history books, someone that Whatever spirit came down from the heavens and manifested the body that is John Mayer, there's just something about he's got it from his songwriting to his guitar playing to his presentation. It's just to me, I found so much inspiration in his approach to creating songs. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it's just he's got the sauce. Yeah. And even as famous as he is, I don't know that people really understand just how good he is. Like, I don't think, I don't know that a lot of people really, really understand. Like I'm sitting there, I'm just like, Oh my goodness. Like witnessing history, like witnessing something that does not come along very often. Exactly. And I wonder if some people are so good and they become so famous that you kind of lose perspective. Like, I was listening to, you ever heard of Michael Buble? The vocal of course, player? yeah. So I was watching a YouTube video where he steps back from the microphone. It's just him and the piano. And he sings out in front of 15,000 people without a microphone. Mm-hmm. And his voice carries throughout the entire Madison Square Garden. Wow. And it's funny because in jazz circles, a lot of, he's much maligned, that Michael Buble guy. And a lot of jazz musicians will kind of turn their nose up, especially like jazz purists or mm-hmm. jazz music. Mm-hmm. They'll sort of turn their nose up at the music of Michael Buble. But like the way I look at it is if that dude walked into like a jam session or like he was not known, no one knew who he was. And he walked into a jam session or or a club, every person that would be sitting in that club would be absolutely mesmerized by yeah. his powerful voice and he's on pitch he's got style and everything and it's like he's become so big and so famous that you kind of lose that perspective that the raw talent is there to get go and i'm wondering if people like like buble and like john mayer they've they have such a they're just leaps and bounds above so many other people that it, you kind of lose perspective because they're so famous yeah but i don't know yeah that's a really good way of thinking about it though i think you might be onto something with that thought so mm-hmm. You're having a dinner party, Ryan. You can invite any three people, living or deceased. Who's coming to your dinner party and what's on the menu? Ooh, <laughs> living or deceased. Yeah. Who would I like to interview? There are people, I guess I would really like to interview or have dinner with politicians. And the okay. reason I say that is because I would, I'm wondering if the perception that I get without getting too political or anything, but... I wonder if the perception that I get with a lot of politicians, if their intentions are truly rooted in public service, right? Mm-hmm. Cause that's what a politician is supposed to be. So, you know, I would love to interview some of our top leaders, whether that be our president or whether that be senators or whatnot. And I would really love to like look them in the eye mm-hmm. and get a sense of 
are they coming from a place of authenticity or is it kind of coming in something different? Yeah, just to, just yeah. I can get a better sense so we can orient ourselves better in this world and make better decisions as we move forward. But yeah, I don't know, maybe not the juiciest sort of response to that question, but I would invite some some presidents over to come yeah. over and maybe some dinner or something. But that is cool. You know, it's, it's funny because I asked this question of all of our guests. And so, I, of course, asked this question of myself. And one of the people on my list was Henry Kissinger. You know, mm. why Henry Kissinger? Because a foreign born secretary of state, like he comes from a different perspective, sees things through a different filter in his lifetime, saw things through a different filter in his lifetime. But I would want to ask him, how does the world really work politically? Yeah, so I get a- where you're coming from. That's a huge rabbit hole. I would like to interview Kissinger as well. Yeah. That's a that's an interesting rabbit hole when you look at sort of his life and the policies that he's influenced and sort yep. of the people that he's influenced. That's a yeah, Kissinger's a good one for sure. Yeah, yeah. So that's a, I'm with you on the politician thing. What's on your menu though? What are you serving? Steak. There you go. Gotta get that steak, bro. All right. All right. All right. Some New York steaks, maybe some ribeyes, some baked potatoes, some mushrooms, tomatoes. Yeah. And uh, I always like to have my steak with some hot sauce. So oh, you do? Okay. Okay. I'm really, I really like Tapatio. I like Cholula. I like Louisiana. I'm okay. not a big fan of Tabasco, but I really, like to have, I really like to have that kick when I'm having my food. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Interesting. I had scrambled eggs with hot sauce this morning. That was my kick. So I'm with you on that, my, my brother. I'm with you on that one. So tell us, what does the rest of the year hold for you? What else you got going on? I know you got this big thing coming up right away with Boney James in Memphis, but yes, what so- else you got going on? So then after that, I'll be performing at Jazz Under the Stars here in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I'm really excited to be a part of that. Yeah. Performing some visual music. My new song goes out to radio August 28th is going to be my next single. It's going to be the follow up to Future Smooth. Cool. I got a few ideas that I'm, I've got in the works and I'm thinking about uh, having a guest on one of my songs. Oh, awesome. Phil Denny. Oh. Yeah, there's a lot of seeds that need some planting, but getting ready for that. And I'm going to be turning 36 in June. And I know I feel like this is going to be a big year for me in terms of professional development in my career. And so I want to, by next summer, have a new full-length album that will it'll have Honest, it'll have Future Smooth on it. And then probably about, I have about 14 songs, 14, 15 songs that are on my hard drive that are in various stages of completion. And that's one of the goals that I've made is to get that album done. And I want it to be, as Steve Martin would say, so good that it can't be denied. And that yeah. when I send it off to people, whether, you know, the leaders in the industry and the radio people in the radio and whatnot, I want them to hear it. And I want it to be a representation of my best work, the most unique work that I can possibly muster, the most well-mixed, well-mastered, well-written, well-recorded, well-played music that I could possibly create. And that when people hear it, it's a sound of a trumpet player and compositions that is unique to myself and that is not copied or emulated. It doesn't sound like anybody else. Yeah, That's, yeah. Those are my short-term goals coming up for the next year or so. That's awesome, man. Well, you don't sound like anybody else right now. And I'm certain that you're going to continue to carry that over because it's evident to me that what you do from the heart and you do from the spirit and you keep it real always. And so, man, I really appreciate having you take some time to chop it up with us a little bit today. We look forward to your new music and everything else you got going on and we'll continue to be fans, man. I appreciate that, Carl. Thank you for this opportunity and thank you to your audience for spending the time listening to what I had to say and I hope to connect with everybody soon. Awesome, man. Thank you again. All right. 
And I want to take a moment to thank our original and ongoing sponsor of Fresh Coast Jazz Festival, Laffy Leitner and Good LLG is Milwaukee's premier civil litigation firm with a national reputation for big firm results. For its clients, their relentless commitment to clients in the courtroom is matched only by their authentic and consistent commitment to their Milwaukee hometown. Thanks, LLG, for your support. And get your tickets now for the 2023 Fresh Coast Jazz Festival, August 25th and 26th at the historic Pabst Theater in Milwaukee, featuring Larry Carlton, Paul Brown, Julian Vaughn, Rick Braun, Lynn Roundtree, Ollie Silk, and Jeff Ryan. Visit FreshCoastJazz.com for tickets and information. That's our show for this week. Be sure to check out our website, FreshCoastJazz.com, to sign up for our email list so you can stay up on what's going on with contemporary jazz. We'll see you next time on Fresh Coast Jazz Backstage. Backstage.